Good morning. What a great way to start a service today with a baptism. And I just think with this whole Ukrainian ministry and also Russian ministry here, and so many of you help with that, and we're so thankful to have those from Ukraine and some from Russia with us as well, and so thankful that you are here and that we are able to help, and, and you're able to help others as well, and how important that is. And I couldn't help but think of all the difficult things that those folks from Ukraine have seen and what they have heard about, and even if they haven't seen how difficult it would be to be displaced into a new country with a new language where you have left everything. And then I couldn't help but think of what it must have been like when the Ethiopian was baptized and went his way rejoicing, if it was anything like we just heard a minute ago. To know that you are in Christ, to know that you are in Jesus, to know that there is eternal hope. What a great thing. This morning, we are starting a new series, and we're talking about unbecoming. Now, you see our series all year is about becoming. But for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about unbecoming, about things that maybe aren't pretty. That word unbecoming, my mother used to use it. Maybe you know it. Maybe you've never heard it. But it was that word that meant that doesn't look good. It might be a shirt that's too tight or pants that are too high or whatever it may be, the official definition of unbecoming is not appropriate or suited to one's appearance, status, or character, and so on. And so a way that uh, maybe it was used a lot at my house was it was around the dinner table. My mother would say, get your elbows off the table, that is unbecoming. She might say, you know, don't play with your food, that's unbecoming. Don't burp at the table. That is unbecoming. All those things that a mother says to her child, right? It is unbecoming. And so we know that there are things that are unbecoming to God, and there are things that God doesn't like, and there are, frankly, things we don't like as well. And so today we're going to start with one of those issues, and one of those is anger. Now, we all deal with anger sometimes, and if we were to take the microphone this morning and just have 10 people get up and talk about what they were angry about or what they were upset about, and you have a minute to talk, by the end of it, it would probably be two or three people in. The rest of us would be angry with them. Whatever side they took, we would be angry about something because we agree or because we don't agree. It wouldn't take very long to just get this whole crowd riled up. We all deal with anger in various ways. Now, this may surprise you, but anger is not always bad. You should be upset about some things. That's normal. If you were, saw a child being hurt or being stolen, you should be angry about that. When someone does something that is just flat, not right, you should be angry about that. That's, that's okay to be angry. That's normal to be angry. And, and And it's a normal emotion to have anger, you know, and even if you think about it, and maybe you already have this morning, there was a time in the Bible when Jesus turned over some tables that were in the temple court because people were making a mockery of the worship that was happening, that Jesus was angered. Sometimes the phrase that we use, it's a It's a man-made phrase, but the idea of righteous anger, God is angry several times. The Bible shows us in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's not a sin in and of itself to be angry. Anger is not a sin. 
but how we respond to anger is the issue. Now, incidentally, I had no idea where I was going to use the picture of this bird, but I knew it had to go somewhere. (laughs) Anger is not the sin. How we respond to it is. Now, as we all know, we all have some stress in life, and those stress, those irritations just get on our nerves, don't they? And maybe you're at work, and your boss has asked you to work overtime, and you're not going to get paid for it. That's just kind of an irritation, right? You know what that's like. And then maybe folks at work or at home, I mean, it's just not going right. I mean, just you're off. Anything you talk about, it's just kind of frustrating. They're not bad people. You just don't like them very much, and they're kind of on your nerves. And there's more stress, right? There's stress. There's irritation that's there. You turn on the radio, and oh, the world is a mess. I mean, who, who else is going to decide to fight, right? That's what it feels like right now. There's more irritation that comes, right? And so then after a while, you, you, you turn from that channel, and you get onto something that's political, and it doesn't take very long to make people really get irritated and angry when you listen to politics, and Wow. And then you get to I-10. <laughs> and you decide you'll go home early, like I did the other day. I'm going to go home about 2.30. There won't be any traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the rain and the two wrecks on the way home, right? And now, it's kind of boiling in you. And it's getting, it's getting kind of tough. You're frustrated. You get home. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's yourself. Or, or maybe it's your spouse. They drop a, a plastic glass of water on the floor. I mean, it doesn't break the glass because it's plastic, right? But, but it gets water everywhere. At this point, you, you're just so mad. And you know what happens? You pop, Right? And you get angry with that other person, or maybe even with yourself, and you are so mad. You see, anger itself at situations is not the sin. How we respond is the problem. We have to decide, am I going to be godlike in my anger, or am I going to be like everybody I see on TV? Am I going to be like what I feel like doing, rather than what I know is right? And so we deal with those issues. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 say this. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. I think with every couple I've ever done premarital counseling with, I have referred to this passage in some way or another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Because when you get angry, then that's when the opportunity to sin comes in, right? Right in the middle of that. This passage is a reference actually to a passage in the Old Testament. It is a reference to the, to the book of Psalms. And in Psalms chapter 4, verse 4, as it quotes the beginning of it, Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart, uh, in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Now, I usually start working on my sermons, the first little bit of it, on Sunday night late. 
And last week, I read this scripture to Barbara, and I said, what do you think this scripture means? Just when I read it out loud, be angry and do not sin, reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. I said, what does it mean? She said, it means count to ten. You know what I'm talking about? Before I say anything, count to ten, which is kind of the way we use that phrase sometimes. Breathe for a while, we might say. It's think before acting. Think about it, mull it over before acting. Take deep breaths the way we might sometimes also say it. You understand what I'm talking about. In the old days, I remember when I was a boy, sometime back in the 70s, I remember hearing a preacher talk about the idea of handling problems and how to deal with other people. And what he said was, you should write a letter. When you're upset with an individual or a company or whatever, whoever it may be, you write this letter, you put the address on the, on the envelope, you seal it, and then you put it on your nightstand, and then the next morning you decide if you're going to send it. That was pretty good advice in a lot of ways. You still may send the wrong thing, but pretty good advice. You decide, am I really that upset? You know what the problem was? Along came email. And do you know what happened after that? Along came texting. I don't even have to write formal sentences anymore to tell you how angry I am. And now we just fire things off at people. Room right at you. And if I had time to count to ten and time to think before I acted, maybe it would have been a lot different. Now, there are other steps to controlling anger, and these come from psychologists in different places. I pulled these. These, these are things that you would probably think of as well. But one of the things that psychologists say we need to do is sleep. Counselors say sleep. And I can tell you that when I am tired, I am more edgy than when I am well-rested. And you may be the same way. Traffic is not as bad whenever I'm rested as it is when I'm tired. People that get on my nerves don't get on them as much whenever I'm well-rested. Somehow that rest helps all of us. So sometimes what we need to do is rest. And if we are running, 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 don't be surprised if your anger will blow up one of these days. Now, one of the other things they say to do is remove yourself from the situation. You may have to go back to that situation, and maybe you live in the house with the person and you can't leave. Could be you need the job so you can't completely leave, but you may need a break. You may need a day off. You may need some time just to breathe that's more than counting to ten. And so, to control it, maybe you just remove yourself and then also consider alternate interpretations. Maybe I didn't fully understand what was being said or what was meant. Oh, yes, I did. No, that's what I'm saying. Consider others, other interpretations. And even if what the person said they meant, maybe there is something, a reason why they said what they meant. Maybe it was something, maybe they were right. Or maybe it was that they have this, this distorted background that things come out that they say crazy things. Maybe they have a chemical imbalance. Who knows? But don't let those things determine your mood and how you feel. So consider alternate interpretations. And obviously, pray. Pray. Be praying, Lord, help me. Remove this from me. 
Help me understand better. Help it go away. Help it be resolved. Lord, help me. I'm too angry to pray. Then pray, Lord, please, somehow, however you do it, have the Spirit pray for me anyway. But somehow be praying whenever that anger hits you. And then obviously seek help. Go to a counselor, go to a psychologist, go find medicine, whatever it is. And incidentally, sometimes, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to read the Bible. Well, understand the Bible may be leading you to a counselor. The Bible may be leading you to a doctor that can help you with that. That may be how God is working. So don't discount that God would work that way in order to help your brain and chemicals in your body for example, just the way another doctor would help you if you had a broken arm. So pray, seek help, and understand, as we all do, that anger can destroy relationships. Anger. Is, you talk to people, tell me what happened. You used to be friends. Tell me what happened. You used to be married. Tell me what happened. Well, often they will go back to some angry situation that happened. Not always, but often. And so when Paul writes many of his letters in the New Testament, specifically here we're going to think about Galatians, he's writing to a group of congregations in the ancient region of Galatia, and he knows they've got to stay together because the Roman Empire is breathing down their throats, not just with persecution, but breathing down their throats as far as their culture and their Roman gods and Greek mythology is coming in, and it's all around them. And he's saying to the Christians, you've got to get along. Even when you see things a little differently, you have got to find a way to keep it together. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. If you bite and devour, you will be consumed by one another. After the first service, Nathan Bell came to me, and I had an illustration. He told me a better illustration. He told me an illustration about his brother, that his brother found out somewhere in the... In the uh, in the wilderness somewhere, some deer antlers that were connected to other deer antlers, and the two deer there, the carcasses were there, had died in mortal combat because they couldn't get away from each other. That happens to nations, that happens to individuals, that happens to congregations. It can destroy us. I am so thankful, as I tell you often, that this is a place of peace. This is a place of happiness. It doesn't mean that we agree on everything every single time. But this is a place where we work on our things in order to stay together and to watch out for each other and not be consumed by the world, but yet in a different way be consumed by God. What God wants for us is good. God has always wanted good for us. God has never wanted bad for us. The Babylonians that followed Babylonian gods, what they thought was that God, God, the gods wanted bad. But the God, Yahweh, that we know of the Bible, has always wanted good. In the book of Colossians, it says this in chapter 3. But now, put away all of the following. Basically, what, what Paul, the, the writer, is saying is, this is how to be becoming to God. If you want to be becoming to God, get rid of these things. Put away the following, anger, wrath, malice, 
slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. Now, I want you to see that imagery some of you know from the book of Romans, where he talks about that whenever you're baptized into Christ, just as Valeria was a few minutes ago, and the way others, 40 others have been this year here in this congregation, you remember what happened there. In Romans, he says, your old self in baptism dies, and a new self is resurrected in baptism. He says, because you were raised up in baptism, now you let these things go. You get rid of this dangerous anger. It's not that you don't become angry about something, but in the way that anger comes out of you is different now. You get rid of, rid of that wrath, which is very similar to that anger, and malice and slander, and often when you're angry, the filthy language comes with it. He says you get rid of those things because you are a new person. And don't lie to each other. Because you know what lies create? More anger, and now here the circle goes. He says, when you are a new person, you are a new creature, you are in Christ, it is different than the way it was before. Now I want you to also hear something else that a psychologist said about this. Prolonged release of stress hormones that accompany anger can destroy neurons in areas of the brain associated with judgment and short-term memory and weaken your immune system. Do you realize if you harbor lots of anger, there is a good chance that you will also get sick with a cold or whatever else? Because it is bad on your body. When we live that way, it puts us in a compromised state. I remember, speaking of this short-term memory, I remember a story back also in the 80s, a baseball story, believe it or not, but this baseball story, and I remember when it happened. The best player, he's a Hall of Fame player, the best player on the Kansas City Royals was, was George Brett. And George Brett got up to bat, he hit a home run, seemed like it was you know, a home run, everybody cheers, everything's great. Except one thing baseball players do is they put a substance called pine tar sometimes on their bats to help them grip. But instead of it just being on the hands, George Brett's pine tar went way up the bat. And I have never heard it called before, before or after, but this one particular umpire disqualified him and because he had too much pine tar on the bat and said, you're out and the home run does not count. You can see the video, but turn down the sound if you do. So George Brett runs out of the dugout, and I mean, he goes crazy. I've seen interviews where this question has been asked about him, and one thing he always says is, I don't remember it. I don't remember it at all. Do you know why? His anger was so strong that his memory was gone. He also always says, when I've heard him interviewed, don't ask me again. <laughs> he doesn't want to go back to that. It can be very, very difficult for us, and it's bad on our health. Now, this is the good thing. We serve a God that doesn't get as angry as quickly as we do. In Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10, the Lord is compassionate 
and gracious. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Praise God for that. Because if he gave us what we deserved, we would all be heading for hell right now. But our God is slow to anger. He wants us. As a matter of fact, what we get in the New Testament is God is patient because he wants all people to repent and come back to God. So here's my question for you this morning. Do I need peace? Do I need peace? You know, there are situations going just like with that balloon. We all have stress in our balloons. All of us. There are things we're dealing with. There are people in this audience that are dealing with health issues, either you or your family or your friends. We know we have a long prayer list. People that are dealing with big issues, and their families are dealing with big issues. There are probably people dealing with with family issues and marriage issues and children issues and parent issues and all those things. There are people worried about their jobs right now. There are probably even people on the borderline of sin right now in different things. All those things bring stress. All of them do. Do not give up. Follow Jesus. That is where the peace is. The only one that can give the peace that we need so desperately is the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. Do not give in. Do what you know, not what you feel in those situations. You know, I was thinking the other day, I saw some program on TV, and it was some people that had professional Jeep drivers, and they were going on some kind of course through the, the jungle. And they would go over these big bumps and, the, and the, the roots in the road. They would go over, and they'd go high up in the air, and then they'd come down, and they would bounce and bounce you all around. And the people that they were taking, they all had seatbelts on. I can tell you what I would want to do. I would want to get out of that Jeep as fast as I could. The problem was they were in the middle of the jungle. You couldn't get out. And also another thing I would want to do, I think, is I would like to kick the driver out and now I will drive and it will be smooth. But it wouldn't be smooth. All you can do is trust the driver and keep going. Trust the driver, stay seat belted in, hold on, and eventually there will be better roads ahead. All those things we're dealing with, those are the bumps, those are the roots in the road, those are the potholes, all those things. Trust the Lord. Don't give up on the Lord and keep going and we will get to the other side. But if we quit, we will be eaten up in the jungle. We cannot quit. We keep going forward and we will eventually get there. Do not stop. This morning, maybe some of you are ready to get in the vehicle. You are ready to get in and seatbelt up and go forward with the Lord so that there is hope in the middle of tragedy, that there is hope in the middle of trauma. There's hope in the middle of drama. And you're ready for that. You're ready to be baptized into Jesus. You know what to do. You know what uh, Valeria just did, and you're ready for that too. You say, I want to do that. You can have your sins forgiven, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, become a part of the kingdom of God, and the blessings are even greater than that. And you can do that today, publicly 
You can find me afterwards and do it privately. But I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be immersed into Jesus and come up in new life. For others of us, the problem is we've been trying to steer in the midst of the drama. In the midst of the problems, we've been trying to take the wheel ourselves and do it, and we're not going to get down the right road the right way if we try to do that. And we just need prayers for strength and help. So we, you, you can come forward and we will all pray for you, or you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org, or you can catch someone even in your pew today and say, would you pray for me, or take me to someone that would pray for me, and, and they'll do it. Come this morning as we stand and sing.